Hi, everyone. I'm Scott Branley. And I'm Alicia Coakley. Every member of the church has a story to share, one that can instill faith, invite growth, and inspire others. On today's episode, we're going to hear how one man's journey to the other side of the veil helped him to know that God will always love you where you are. Welcome to Latter-day Lights. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Latter-day Lights. We're so glad you're here with us today, and we're really excited to introduce to you our guest, Vinny Tolman. Vinny, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, and it is awesome to be here with you both, Scott and Alicia. Thank you. It's awesome to have you. You have been one of those guests that I've been so excited about. I was just... I was just uh, telling you right before we we started, you know, recording this, that um, I've been telling everyone that we have we have a, someone who spent time in a body bag, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be coming on our show. So just to preface listeners, this is such an incredible story. I'm not going to give you any more spoilers other than that. That's the only thing that I'm going <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> um, but Vinny, you, you have... Um, you have had quite the adventure so far, aside from that little tidbit. You um, you actually lived in Alaska for a while, which is where I was going to move to, and I mm-hmm. didn't. I moved to Texas instead. But why don't you tell us a little bit about that, a little bit about yourself and your family? And Well, um, yeah, I, I am uh, 45 years old. I I did have my, my whole death experience back when I was 25, so it's been 20 years now. And um, essentially, I used to do construction when I was single up until I got married. And, and in doing construction, I could live wherever my projects were. And that was the case. I lived in Fairbanks and and built a, a two custom homes and a Black Angus restaurant. So so I got to <laughs> to kind of kind of do all three while I was up there. And so I've, I've really experienced Alaska. I've lived in in over 30 states. One day we had a count that was like 35 states total that I'd, I'd spent some type of time working in. But I'll tell you, um, you get a real good feel of areas you like and areas you don't like uh, between all the different cities and all the different states in the United States. And, and I really learned to love the diverse culture because we do have a very diverse culture here in the United States within our yeah. own, our, our own countrymen and countrywomen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's me. I've I've got uh, two wonderful kids, and uh, my wife Andrea. We've been married for twenty years, and so we've we've we live in Las Vegas. We've been here for twenty years now. So um, essentially, um, we've been Nevadans now for twenty years, and 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 we've visited other states a little bit, but nothing like before when I was single. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So do you love Las Vegas? Is that why you guys are there? Or is there another place well, among your my, 30 plus it, states? It's funny. We, we've, I've learned to love the warmth, but my wife always loves the warmth. So that, that was one of the first reasons we came here. We were living in Wyoming right before we moved here. And we kind of got frozen out of Wyoming. <laughs> it's a cold place there, at least where we were living. And a beautiful place, amazing summers, uh, but mm-hmm. very uh, cold and unforgiving winters. So. We had the opportunity to move to Las Vegas, and at first it was going to be temporary, and and it kind of stuck. We've been we've been in Nevada for twenty years now since we moved here. Wow! So you yeah. said warmth as in Las Vegas, but isn't that being a little 
generous. <laughs> I mean, I've been there in the summer. Well, and it's, well, it's funny, a little more than warm. If you but. can, if you can, if you can stomach a, a a hot July and August. So there's two really hot months here. But other than that, it's actually very, very mild. Um, the winter okay. here, you like your average winter day is in the 60s and 70s. So it's it's really mild. You will have a cold day once in a while where you actually have to put on a hoodie or something like that, mm-hmm. like a light sweater. But you, you never have to really bundle up in winter gear ever here. And that's one of the nice things. You, if you're an outdoors person or if you like to ride a bike um, or run, then this is a, a great place for that. You, you essentially have access to that all year long, except for those two hot months, you're, you're either running so early. It's, it's a little scary because you're running at like three in the morning um, (laughs) or, or you're inside of a a gym running inside, which most of the gyms here have like indoor running courts just for that reason. Cause it does get so hot uh, during July and August. Yeah. Wow. So are you still in construction or what do you do now? Um, I do. Um, I do construction, uh, but I do it more of a management of construction now. Mm-hmm. I manage mm-hmm. a, um, a purchase account for for a bunch of different general contractors here in, in the Las Vegas area. Um, but other than that, my my primary um, work or, or a source of joy and happiness is I, I coach people. I actually... I'm I'm a life coach, and beyond that, I actually do kind of like spiritual influence coaching, where really? a lot of times, a lot of times, someone has something where they can't get any change to happen in their lives, and I work with them, and usually in in ninety minutes we can get done what sometimes ten years with other modalities can't get any progress. So um, it, wow. it's kind of like seeing seeing the problem through the trees. And that's what uh, that's a gift I have since I had my experience, and and I'm really, really, and I'm, I'm actually can't take credit for it. Um, God is really, really good at it. I just plug into God, and God shows me what we, what we need to do to help people on certain events. So, um, awesome. yeah, I, it, it's not me at all. It's 100 percent God's God's functioning and and God's love for for His children. That's what allows me to to do what I do. So that's my my primary function and joy is to help people. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's actually funny. It's pretty perfect timing. I literally just posted on one of my LDS groups the other day. I'm I'm needing a life coach. I'm looking for a life coach. So we're there going you to go. talk after this. There we go. Seriously. Like yeah. I <laughs> I got a lot it, on my plate and I need help <laughs> scheduling and I don't know how to not cry. <laughs> well, it's funny. A lot of times in, in life in general. We spend 80 percent of the time on twenty percent of the problem, mm-hmm. and and yeah. we're not putting any time on the solutions or on the happiness factors, and that's what I try to to bring forth for people is that ability to know what they should be focusing on and where they should cut their their losses with certain things too, because there's very many times in life that we're 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 kind of running in circles and not getting any progress and even making a difference yes. for anybody. So yeah. why are we doing that? Let's shift our attention to where we can make a difference and where we actually feel fulfilled. Um, yeah. So it's it's a really fun industry. And I'm telling you, it's crazy. I've seen I've seen God do miracles in people's lives by just kind of like tapping in and getting a little bit of information for them um, mm-hmm. so that they can see the outside perspective that God's been seeing the whole time. It's really yeah. a beautiful thing. It's a fun thing. So cool. All right. Well, you and I are going to talk after the show, but right now (laughs) 
We're going to invite you to do all the talking. <laughs> we would, we would oh, love great. Here to comes, hear here your Here comes story. the boring part. This is the boring part. Not kidding. <laughs> well, uh, my story, it does start uh, 20 years ago. So January 18th this year is my 20th death anniversary. And again, I do say death anniversary. That's 20 years since I died. Um, on January 18th, 2003, a buddy of mine and I, we both took a supplement that was meant for bodybuilders, natural bodybuilders back then. And we had ordered it online from Thailand. And this supplement uh, was was 20 times stronger than than the version we were getting here in the States. And we didn't know that. So we took our normal amount, but it was like taking 20 doses. So instantly wow. we both felt sick. We we decided, you know what, we're both feeling sick. We didn't know we were poisoned, but we felt we were sick. We knew we were sick right away. And 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 with our experience of the past of using the American version of the supplement, if you got a little too much, you would eat some food, and that would make you feel better. So we decided, hey, there's a Dairy Queen a couple blocks down the road. Let's go to the Dairy Queen. We'll get a bite to eat, and we'll feel better. And so off we go. Uh, we We are barely making it to the Dairy Queen. My buddy is starting to pass out um, from the effect of the supplement. He started to pass out as he was driving. So I was shaking him, keeping him awake, even to the point that I had to put the car in park for him. And I stumbled out and I staggered into that restaurant and I went straight for the bathroom because I felt really nauseated. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I went in and that bathroom was a single-use bathroom. So out of habit, I locked the door. And I go in there, I locked the door, I passed out, I fell and passed out on my back. And then it began to vomit, which causes you to aspirate or to breathe in that which is coming up out of you. And so I, I did end up suffocating or, or aspirating on my own uh, vomit, on my own sick. And meanwhile, my buddy, he went in and collapsed on a booth inside Dairy Queen and um, started vomiting all over the table. The manager came out and actually uh, called 911 and got him hauled away in an ambulance. He was, he was totally fine. They, the hospital did keep him overnight. They pumped his stomach, uh, but he ended up being totally fine, no problems. But meanwhile, nobody did see us coming together because we, we did kind of stagger in separately, and, and I was literally dead in the bathroom. About 45 minutes later, a customer asked them, the manager of the restaurant to open that bathroom so he could gain access. He'd been trying to, you know, knock on the door for almost an hour. So that manager opens the bathroom and sees a dead guy on the floor. And that, that was me. That was my body. He saw my body there. Um, at this point where I was though, was not in the body. Uh, as soon as I, the room got dizzy for me, I went straight from, Whoa, this is getting really dizzy to all of a sudden, bam. And I was, I felt like I was plunged into cold electricity. And that's the, it's, it's a hard thing to describe, but that's what it felt like. It felt like I went from straight from living, breathing and being in the physical body to bam, I was, I was energy and I was alive and electric and, and I was completely free of pain. Now at 25 years old, you're not in a lot of pain, but I would, I'd been a previous rugby player and lived really hard in, in my first 25 years of life. And mm -hmm. I had a lot of pain going on in my body, not just from the bodybuilding, but from just life, I had a lot of pain. So the second I was out of pain, I knew something had completely changed, but I didn't know what. 
because where I was, I was up here uh, where the ceiling would be, but I was looking down. I couldn't see anything behind me. Like I couldn't see the actual ceiling, but I was looking down on the events as if I was the ceiling. And, and the weirdest thing is I was looking at my body, but I didn't know it was me. It felt like I, it, it felt like if you're driving in down the street and you see a car next to you and it's, and it looks like your car and the person driving it looks like you, but you know, it's not you because you're over here in this car. That's what it felt yeah. like for me. I knew it wasn't me down there on the floor. But it sure looked like me, but there's no way it could be me because me was up here. And then I did recognize my buddy. I recognized him as he came in and I actually watched him vomit. So I must have suffocated right away. And I watched him vomit over the table. I watched them call 911. I watched them uh, rush and and start uh, working on him immediately. And they took him uh, about a block and a half away from this place to a hospital where he was able to, you know, receive treatment. But as soon as they started driving away from the restaurant, I felt tethered. I kept trying to follow with it and I couldn't. I was tethered back to the space where this body was. And, you know, dumb me, I still didn't know it was my body. <laughs> I'm sitting there looking and I'm like, oh, that poor guy. He looked, he's, I, I was like, he looks kind of like me, but, but he's not me because the neck had, had already started to swell and i don't know if this is customary or not but this is what happened to to the body is the neck got wider than the jaw it actually swelled up and then the the skin went very very dark purple almost like a barney like barney purple Uh. like really dark purple and then with yellow like a yellow uh it was weird it was like a yellow splotch that looked like south america here and like africa here like really really yellow and it just didn't look human. It it looked like a bad Hollywood job. That's what it looked like to me. Wow. Um, and and I just felt bad. I felt bad for whoever this guy was. I felt horrible for the manager. The manager, I could hear everything he was thinking. I could hear even his mind's voice in his head, just like telling him, "You're such an idiot. You need to get out of this dead end job." And you know, your mom told you you're never going to go anywhere working at this place. It was just. I could hear everyone's thoughts. And even when uh, one of the girls who saw the body, she ran and told the cook and it was like, there's a dead guy in the bathroom. Come look, come look. And I heard the cook say in his own mind, he's like, I've seen enough death in my life. I don't want to see that body. So I, it was so weird that I was perceiving everything that was going on in the, in the restaurant, everything. I could hear everyone's thoughts as if they were, they were said out loud. Um, but, but no one was moving their mouths for those thoughts. I was hearing their, their voice say the things they were thinking the way that we would maybe, you know, talk to each other through a microphone or something, but it was just so surreal and so weird. And I saw this second ambulance crew get called. They showed up about 45 minutes to an hour after the first crew came. So they, they, they estimate at least time, time of death was at least 45 minutes to an hour prior to the ambulance getting there. And then once they were there, they processed the scene for 30 to 45 minutes. So total time of death, they, they think easily an hour, possibly up to two hours, uh, depending on, on how, how you work out the time of it. But this, wow. this second ambulance crew shows up, and it's a three-man crew. There's a brand-new rookie, and hits his first week of training. And then two veterans. He was shadowing these two veterans. 
So he, he watches these two veterans come in and pronounce the body dead. They did uh, do some prelim, preliminary chest compressions, and they had put this like mask thing over the, the body and tried to give the, the body some oxygen. Didn't work. Nothing worked. So they did pronounce the body actually dead. Um, they brought out this, this uh, bright yellow body bag. And, and not every ambulance carries these body bags, but this particular crew, because it was a training crew, did have one. In fact, they had a few. Um, they used the body bag. They bagged the body. They were going to go turn it into uh, the medical examiner so, uh, for an autopsy. That was the directive of the police officer that they were actually in radio with. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so that was the, what the plan was. They did, however, do a topical, they did some type of, topical dissection of some skin on the back they did some other things they they bagged the body and they strapped it tight to the gurney the way you would strap a dead body not a live person so there was a very tight strap around the neck area chest area hip area legs and and they they put the body in the back of the ambulance and this rookie is sitting back there staring at the body while his his other two veteran counterparts are doing all this paperwork he's sitting there back back there thinking why didn't we try harder? And he, he really was feeling, why am I even doing this job if, I, if I'm not going to be allowed to try harder for people? He felt like they came to the assumption that he was dead too fast. He felt that they should have tried longer. Right. And, and he just had that. He had this, like, um, this almost aching within his heart that he wished he could have tried harder. And this is what's really weird for me is from my perspective, I started to see a light start to glow in his heart area. It was almost as if somebody had put a flashlight inside of his shirt. It was literally starting to glow, just a little tiny yellow glow coming from his heart space. And he had like a uniform on and everything, but it looked like light was coming out of that uniform in the heart space. And I'm looking at that, and I I actually used to work in TV and film back in, in, in the day. And when I did, the show we worked on was a show about angels. And one of the ways they'd show angels is they would put light. You know, we would have our, our, our director of photography put lights above the angel and turn on the light. And then mm-hmm. somebody's an angel. Um, and I thought, well, that's weird. I wonder why the DP is having a light turn on inside of the guy. That's weird. I've never seen one like that. And, um, and it's funny. I was having that thought. Like, I was thinking this was some type of production. I didn't know this was, I really didn't know this was all real. I thought it was some type of elaborate production. So did you feel, did you feel kind of confused or were you just kind of like, oh, this is going on? I was so, I was so enthralled with what was going on in front of me. And I was so invested emotionally into all the different characters I was watching, including this rookie, that it didn't even dawn on me. There was this self-awareness back here. I, all I was, I was so um, preoccupied with the scene in front of me. I didn't even think for a second, um, this is weird. Why are you on the ceiling looking down? Why is this happening? I just kept thinking, why would the director of photography put a light inside of a person? That's weird. That's almost like just wow. kind of freaky, you know, kind of like yeah. how does someone glow inside? That just doesn't happen. And I was thinking those thoughts as I was watching it happen. And uh, then they were, they were getting done with all the paperwork. Um, and, and actually a police officer did show up on the scene. He signed some paperwork and they traded clipboards with the, the medical team. 
And then the medical team turned the ambulance and, and was leaving the parking lot. Um, and as they left the parking lot, then this, this rookie, he really started uh, laying into himself like, hey, hey, man, you should have spoke up. You should have said something and said, hey, I'm new. Let me try. Let me try. He, he, he kept feeling this strong yearning, like, let me try. Let me try. I should, I should have been able to uh, be allowed to try because now I'm trained. And he, he was, ha- again, having this really strong feeling. And that little light that was kind of glowing in there started to get brighter. And then where I was, I felt as if somebody threw something over my head. If I felt this velocity of something go, go like, like over the top of me, this force went over me. And then I heard very loudly, this one's not dead. And when it happened, <sighs> I, I felt it so loud. It, ga- it gave me like a, a freeze. It like froze me what I was doing. And it, it also froze the rookie medic. He was sitting there, just sitting there kind of like calm and, and, contemplating and looking at this body and thinking and feeling bad when all of a sudden he heard that he went like this and and he he kind of froze he literally froze where he was and and stopped moving so i knew in his timing of freezing and not moving i felt he had to have heard it as well mm-hmm. and and then i actually uh heard his own brain or his own voice in his head say that's just your imagination and, and so then he shrugged it off and he just continued to stare at this body in the bag and this light, it got even brighter and it got so bright that it was glowing from his waist. So where he was sitting, it was glowing all the way down there to above his head was glowing, including his face was glowing now. And, and the light was actually coming from him as if he was the light. And for a second time, I felt this force go over me where I was. And then a second time I heard, this one's not dead. But the second time it was said so loud, it was like lightning. It was like a crack of lightning the way it was said. And there was no denying it. Like it was such a strong, tangible message that I saw him react as well. And instantly he snapped into action. He went and and first he tried to unzip the body bag, but it was getting caught by a strap here. So he undid a strap here. He undid a strap. He loosened a strap here on the chest. He undid the, the body bag zipper and undid it down to this strap. And he started feeling around the neck and the jaw to see if he could get any type of pulse. And he couldn't. He, the body was cold and stiff by now. Literally, it was hard. Like the muscles had hardened. And yeah, which, right. which, which is, is, I guess, is a normal thing after a few, right. an hour or so, or sometimes a few hours. But, uh, but the body was cold and hard. And, and there was no like flexible part to the muscles. They were hardening up. And so he didn't feel any pulses. He did feel under the arm for something. Again, he didn't feel any pulses. He just felt cold and, and gross. It was very gross. There was, you know, vomit all over, but, and, and stiffening, hardening, and even under the arm, still nothing. And he, he still was so driven by this message. He went ahead, undid the chest strap. And he loosened, um, actually, no, he actually undid the, the waist strap too, almost all the way done, um, unzipped the body bag further, and he felt on the inside thigh. Now, on the inside thigh area, there's a big artery there called the femoral or femur artery. 
And, mm-hmm. and he was trying to feel for this artery. I don't know if he got it or not, but he, he made contact with what felt like my femur bone. And when he made contact with the bone itself, I felt a, a jolt or a spark where I was sitting and I feel he felt it too because we both jumped. And when he felt that, that was enough for him that there was some type of sign that, that he needed to try to resuscitate this body. Now, meanwhile, the, these two veteran medics didn't even know what was going on. They were sitting there talking about sports. It was right before this big game that happens in, at the end of January and, uh, or middle of January back then. And, and, uh, and so they're all talking about all this and, and talking about sports. So they weren't even paying attention to him. Well, he went ahead and, and hooked up a defib machine, a machine to shock the heart and bring it back or to, to reactivate the heart, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, as he hooked that all up, these alarms went off. And when the alarms went off, then the, the two veteran medics started going after him and telling him he's going to get fired and that he's breaking protocol. This is his first week of the job. You don't want to lose your, jo- your job first week on, the, on duty. Wow. Uh, but he didn't listen. He went ahead and let the charge happen. The, bo- the body did react a little bit with a little jolt, but that was it. Um, uh-huh. he went, it, he went ahead and recharged for a second charge on the second charge. He got one heartbeat, one single heartbeat. And then on the third charge, he got a steady faint heartbeat consistently it, on its own. So the heart did get back going with that assistance on its own. But meanwhile, the brain had been oxygen deprived for well over an hour. And there was, there was little hope that this brain would come back. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the little miracle of it was when the heart was started on the body, they were, they were about a half of a block from a trauma center, from a hospital. Uh, and so they actually turned the body into a hospital within seconds of that heart starting. Uh, then they were able to turn the body directly into a, a hospital, an ICU, where they were able to start treating it and, and doing all the chemicals and things they need to do to bring a body like that back. And, uh, and to me, that was part of the miracle. Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, interesting. I've noticed as you're, as you're talking, you keep saying the body instead of me, you know, (laughs) like they're bringing me back and they're doing this to me. Well, me was up here watching it. (laughs) Me is in this car driving over here and not in that car over there. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. Like you can tell just from the way that you're talking that you truly did not feel like that was you at all, you know, like that, that was not me. For sure it was not me. You're just and, watching it. That's and and crazy. since then, I have a completely different perspective on life because of that. I know oh. very well, you know, from my experience, I actually learned that if you were to take a ribbon and one end of the ribbon holds on to Earth and the other end of the ribbon went to the furthest extent of the galaxy, that ribbon would take hundreds of millions of years just to go at the speed of light to the other end. And then if you dropped one grain of sand on that ribbon, that's our lifetime here, our entire lifetime. Yeah. It's nothing. It's, we are so much bigger than our lifetime here. But we get so focused on our, our kind of our, our, our micro problems. We forget about the macro existence. We forget about the huge existence that is there for all of us um, because we're so micronized into our our focus 
of, of living more our mortal life here. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do refer to it as the body because it wasn't me for sure. Like, but what's, here's the weird part though. As they were transferring the body in from the, the ambulance, they were strapping it down because the body did go into all sorts of seizures. So the body was just doing all this seizing. They strapped the, the legs down and they went to go strap the arms. And I felt them strap my left arm. And that was the first, the first inkling that it was me because I felt them strap the left arm and I felt myself resist it and break free. And I looked down and I watched the body had broken the strap that they were trying to use to, to strap the left arm. Now, kudos to me back then. I was super strong as a bodybuilder. I was very strong. I, I broke right through that strap. So they went and got a leg strap and they put the leg strap on that arm and they restrained it down. When they did, I looked down and I was actually seeing down to my left. I was seeing the left arm of the body. So that, that was when I knew, oh my gosh, you're dead. And how stupid are you that you didn't know you're watching your own body this whole time? I just felt so dumb. Did it scare you? Yes, it felt extremely scary. In fact, I was feeling so much fear. I started to see all the negative things I'd ever done in my life. And I saw it from the perspective of me doing it to someone else, whether out of purpose or out of ignorance, it didn't matter. And then I was also seeing it from the perspective of those receiving the harm. Out of purpose mm-hmm. or out of ignorance didn't matter. So I was really seeing the 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 bad side of who Vinny is from the perspective of Vinny and also victim. Wow. And and I saw that that yeah, there was a lot of cases where I was a total jerk, whether I planned on it or not, I was. And then I started to have this almost like ego thought, which ego to me is an acronym for edging God out. And I felt this ego thought of trying to edge God out of my consciousness. And, it's, and it said, you're such an idiot. You don't even deserve to exist. You didn't even know you were dead. And, and when I had that thought, I started to feel all this pressure come in on me. Almost like the pressure was so strong, it was going to put out my entire existence, like take me away from existence. As I was feeling this, this constant pressure, all of a sudden, I felt this warming. And it felt like somebody was just kind of rubbing their hand on my back or pouring like some warm oil on my back. It just felt really beautiful. And from this warmth, it started to overtake me. And then I started to see even the smallest good things I did as a little boy. And then the big good things I was able to do as a man. And, you know, I I served a mission in Cambodia, Thailand, and Vietnam. And I got to see all the good I was able to do on my mission, but not just from the perspective of doing good, because a lot of my mission was service. It wasn't just proselyting, it was actually service. Mm -hmm. And I got to see from the perspective of people I helped and how they changed and how like they, they became a different impact. And I got to see kind of the butterfly effect of how sometimes my good influence went generations for people already. Mm -hmm. And, and I wasn't even that old, like a, it was really a beautiful thing to see that that even our smallest kind gestures are the things we think are not making a difference are making a vast difference for humanity and for us and for God. And I got to see that I was well worth saving, that I'd done far more, more than 10 times more good than I could have ever done bad. And, and I started to just feel this overwhelming 
love. And it, and it was so weird because I didn't deserve it. I didn't. None of us do. None of us deserve this love. This love is, is, is greater and bigger than anything that we can achieve in this life. And it was unconditional. And when I say unconditional, I mean, there was not a way to get more of it or to, to not get enough of it. You, you got unlimited amount of this love because you were a child of the creator. Because you were the son or the daughter of your father in heaven. And this love poured over me. And I was, you know, before I, I had my experience, I was raised in a, a good home, but really abusive, extremely abusive. And so I did have a big chip on my shoulder for males, especially older males, people like my dad. Mm-hmm. And I, if, if they did something wrong to me, I would like fight them. I would just want to punch them. <laughs> and, and that's, that's kind of my tough guy persona that I had allowed to begin to form around. And this love that came into me, it, which I didn't feel I deserved even the smallest amount. It, it washed away the, the worst trauma that I had received in this, like the worst. And that I've had other people ask me, like, would you, would you go through all that again, all that trauma, knowing if this was on the other side of it? And I, I can honestly say I would go through a hundred lifetimes of that trauma if I had to, if I knew that love was on the other side of it. Because that love's so pure and so beautiful. There's, there's nothing in this world, nothing in this world. And I have amazing kids and amazing family. I love them so much. It's still the love that you have for your your family. It's still nothing compared to how much love God has for us. God has so much love for us. And we are the, you know, the servant who can't can't earn enough of that love. The un- unprofitable servant as as we learn about in the scriptures, but I'll tell you that 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 love is for every single one of us. And that love is for every single one of us, whether no matter whether we've lived the way we think God wants us to or not. That love's for every single one of us, from the best of us to the worst of us. That love is for all of us. And it's because to God, we, we are the divine masterwork. Every single one of us. Because for us to even exist here, Earth School is the hardest school. It's the hardest school of all the schools for us to exist here, just to even get here and have our hardships here, no matter where we're born, but here, but on earth, then we are considered cream of the crop as far as all, all life in the universe. And that's why so much of the universe is very interested in what's going on here at Earth, because this is the hardest school. And just like a really hard school, the graduation is amazing. The, the, the progress we can get here is amazing. We can get, you know, eons of progress here in, in a matter of 40 to 50 years or 100 years here than we could, you know, thousands of years in these other schools. But I, yeah. but, and that was an, one of the first things I learned is that the earth is a school. It's, it's, it's a classroom. Not, it never was a courtroom ever, ever. The only place it's a courtroom is in our own head. That's it. Wow. And we're the judge and the jury. 
I love that so yeah. much that earth what is a, a cool classroom, insight. not a courtroom. Oh my gosh. I just, I want to write it down and like, I have to, <laughs> I have to give credit where credit is due. So my really good friend and, and, and I'm going to say one of my best friends in this, in this universe, um, Rick and Diane, you know, Richard Paul Evans, he's my publisher. And, and he was the one who, who coined that term because I, you know, he'd hear me share this experience so many times that he probably was starting to get bored with it because he heard it so many times. But he was he was like, Vinny, how about you say it like this? Earth is a, qu- a classroom, not a courtroom. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did I never come up with that? But he's, he's of course, the gifted uh, writer. So, yeah, he, yeah. he uh, helped me coin that. Yeah. It, that is amazing. I love that so much. And, you know, it's funny as you're sitting there and, and you're talking about just this love that you felt. Um, you know, you can hear you can hear how much you still – remember that feeling to some degree, like, I mean, it just comes through. How do you feel like you can really remember it? Or is it, I don't know, for me, I kind of think of like childbirth in a sense or something, right? Like, it would be like what and how I felt. It would be like witnessing the building of a universe and trying to forget it. You can't, you can't, it is so astronomical. It is so outside of our existence here. It, it's it's hard to forget it. Part, part. It's, when you know that's there, you just want to go there. Like, give me a knife, give me a gun, whatever I got to do, get me there. Like, 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 I'm not kidding. When you know that's there, and you know you don't want to go the wrong way. And, and, right. and, and I learned a lot about that, you know, what happens when people have to go that way because they feel that's their only option. But I want to go the right time, um, even to the point when I did when I was revived after three days of being brain dead. I I was looking up and googling like the most dangerous jobs. <laughs> so really? I, and I looked the most dangerous job in the world, by the way, which you can't get uh, life insurance if you do underwater welding. <laughs> you have a very strong chance of dying in the oh. field of work. And Good and then second know. second most dangerous was being a crab fisherman. So I was lining up like uh, applications for both jobs. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, right after this warming happened though, and I, I felt this just su- such an all permeating, unconditional love come over me. I knew it was coming from someone behind me because uh, I could feel it coming directly from a being. I didn't know who. So I did, mm-hmm. I turned around and I see this guy and he's all, all dressed in white wearing like a white suit but on top of the white suit he has like this robe over his shoulders with like a little color in it and and he just had this love this love beaming off him and his eyes his eyes felt like they were reaching in grabbing your soul and like hugging it and and the first thought i had is here's here's this white guy long white beard long white hair white suit I'm like, oh, you must be God. <laughs> and and he like started to laugh. And without using his mouth, he goes, no, son, I'm not God. And so my follow-up was, well, you don't look like it, but are you Jesus then? Because <laughs> if you're not God, maybe you're Jesus. And he, he again laughed. He's like, no, 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 I'm not Jesus. He said, I, he said no, son, I'm not Jesus, but I, I am a loving being. And I am being here for you to help you go wherever you want to go. And he showed me he could help me go back to my body. 
And he actually like kind of motioned to where my body was back there. And as I even turned to look and I see the body just going through all the turmoil that it was going through to get revived fully, I didn't want anything to do with it. I said, no, I don't want anything to do with that. That looks horrible. But I could feel this, this, that loving force coming from him. And I said, I want to go where that is. I want to go wherever that's coming from. And he was like, oh, that's coming from your home. We can go back to your home. He's like, that's my home too. We can go back to your home where you came from. And I said, yeah, that place, that place, that's where we're going. (laughs) And so uh, he explained that he was going to help me go on this journey. And we were going to journey to heaven or to home. Because that's what heaven is. It's just our home. It's where we came from. And and that's when I pulled out my uh, my uh, good Latter Day Saint card. <laughs> I'm like I'm like oh I got this. You can just show me where the back door is or the quick the quick <laughs> escalator whatever I got to do. I'm like I already I you know I fully embrace the the principles and ordinances of the gospel. I should just be able to get in. I can just get in. And. Uh, <laughs> And it was just funny. It was kind of like a two-year-old walking up to a Lamborghini saying, oh, I can build that. I already, I already built that. Like, no, no. <laughs> I just, I was very ignorant in my assumption. And, uh, and of course, being 25 and living a kind of an egocentric life prior to this, he's like, he said, no, son. I, he says, I love that you have done all these beautiful, wonderful things to follow the Savior. But we, we need to do a little bit more. And, and this is what he explained to me. You don't have to fully embrace everything I teach you. You just have to be willing to accept that it's a possible truth. And that was really weird to me. Because you know how in this life, you either accept something or you reject it. I just needed to be willing to accept it as a possible truth. That's it. And so he started lining out all this information. And, and much of it, I just fully accepted and embraced already. So it was really easy for me. But he kept taking me back to, to square bait or to, to, to first, to square one, essentially with my progress. He kept bringing me back, bringing me back. And I'm like, wait, how come you won't let me get to the love part? I thought love would be like the first step. And he helped me understand that until I could find my true authentic self, I could never give love or be loved that I had to find out who I was first, authentically. And so authenticity was the first thing he taught me. And he taught me that um, everywhere I went with different people every day, I would put on a different mask. And I needed, to, I needed to figure out who I was beneath all these masks. Because, you know, if I went and spent time with my mom and my dad, I had a mask I put on. And if I went to work, which was a construction site, I had a mask I put on. If, uh, you know, if I was working TV and film, I had masks I would wear for that. And, and so I had all these different aspects of my persona or personalities, and I need to peel all of them away and w- look at what was at the core being in between all these places. Who was I minus the masks? And he helped me see that I was actually a really good person, but I had allowed these masks to come up out of insecurity. I felt like I needed to portray myself a certain way to be accepted even by my own mother and my own father. I had a mask for them. Like I really didn't allow myself to be myself with them. Uh, and, and 
the way Drake, he, you know, my guide, he, he told me his name is Drake. The way he explained it to me is I needed to be able to speak and behave the same, no matter who I was with. And if I could be like that, then I was being authentic. And he showed me in this life that the earliest kids, the, the, the babies, you know, before you're five years old, you're extremely authentic. And when you're over 80 years old, you're extremely authentic. So whether you're, whether you're a baby or you're, you're, you're almost fertilizer, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You, you are extremely authentic. You are, right? Mm -hmm. And but somewhere in between, mm -hmm. after five years old and before 80, we allow all these different aspects to show up who we are. And, and we're not those aspects. We are the being inside of all that. So that was the first step I had to learn was, is who's Vinny? Mm -hmm. Who is me? And underneath all these, these faces and personas. And, and once I grasped that and understood that, then I could start learning uh, and understanding the purpose of life. And that was the second principle I thought, that, that life is a classroom and not a courtroom. And that the holy of holies, the holiest place on earth, is between these two temples right here. That's our sacred holy space. Holier than any temple that we could ever enter is this temple right here. And yet we we put so much strictness on what we can wear and what we can say and how we behave in going into a physical building that we call a temple. But yet we'll allow all sorts of junk and trash in this temple. And this mm. one's the most important one. So I needed to start to learn that the purpose of life was to learn within my temple. That's the purpose of life, is to grow and progress inside my temple. That's the purpose. Not to be tested and not to be judged and not to, to pass or fail. Because when God loves the last of the class and the first of the class, he's passing them as they can pass their marks but he's never throwing away a single member of the class ever because God loves even those who are behind. God loves especially the lost lamb. That's why God will leave the 99 to go save the last, the one lost lamb. And that's, that's the love that God really has. Not the love that we've allowed to mutate into our perception of God. Because we as humans, if we would, as a good parent, never give up on our kids, why would we think God ever would? And God's yeah. so much of a better perfect being than we ever could be as a parent. Right. God's never going to give up on us ever, ever. Yeah, that's interesting because there is a social perception of, of what we think God's love is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it used to be to me, the first time anything bad happened to me, I would instantly look back to the the recent history of my life and think, what did I do to deserve this? Mm -hmm. As if God was sitting there holding punishments and saying, oh, he made a mistake. You're going to dish out a punishment. Like, I really believed that. And, and that was the culture of, of our religion, not the actual gospel. Right. The gospel wow. says we choose our trials, mm -hmm. that our trials are something that we embrace to learn and to grow. And they're not handed down or dished down out of spite. Right. That God is lovingly the single footprints, pair of footprints in the sand because he's going to carry us 
through those trials. And, and so that was a very different perspective because I did, I had allowed an egocentric version of God to start growing in my head. And that wasn't the real version of God. I was knowing the real version of God through Drake. Drake showed me that this love, this tremendous love I was feeling is all God. It's all God. It's God's love for all of us. And that all he was doing was channeling it to me and allowing me to feel God's love for me. And so that brought us to the third principle of love. That was the, I thought that would be the first one. I'll, I'm like, Drake, let's get right to love and then we'll go in heaven to play basketball. <laughs> Something, you know? But no, he, we find, you know, third step, we get to love. And he showed me that, that it's so important because God loves everyone for us to love everyone. And he showed me that loving everyone is not just loving all mankind. It's loving all animals. It's loving all beings. And he, and he helped me see that one fine day, when Christ will reign upon the earth, the lamb will lay down with the lion, that that lamb will be loved by the lion, that the, li- the carnivores will stop eating the, the animals, that we are carnivores too, so that we've got to learn how to love all animals, period, and, and, and move our way there eventually. Because when, when Christ does rule on the earth, that's what's going to happen. That we'll be in a place where we won't need to destroy the flesh of any being. We won't, we'll even lovingly respect the flesh of trees and, and, and plants and, and, and all creation. And that every being in creation is valuable to God. Every being that is created is valuable to God. So that was an important principle for me to, to allow my love to go beyond just mankind. To love all, and I do love animals. I've always loved all animals, but I didn't necessarily, you know. I had a, a really good friend that's a, a preacher who had kind of convinced me that certain animals didn't have souls and all this stuff. And 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 and, and of course I was, and of course that was way off from what I what I was taught in my experience that mm-hmm. that every being in existence has importance and has mm-hmm. has value to the creator to our creator. And, and then that brought me to my fourth principle that I had to learn, which is listen to your inner voice. And um, I, I had actually already had a, a lot of really good experiences on my mission with learning to listen to the Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit within me to, to li- quite literally save my life on my mission quite a few times. And, uh, and know exactly what to say for certain things. So um, that one was, was one of the only easy ones for me because I, even with my big failures in the past, I always kept God close to me and kept that close relationship that I could essentially feel that presence and feel the Spirit, feel the Holy Ghost on a regular basis. So, so that one wasn't too hard for me. But what was hard for me is the next principle that he brought to me which was to learn to use technology responsibly. Now, again, this happened 2003. So 2003 technology, there wasn't a lot. Not, yeah. There was like <laughs> um, MySpace, which was pretty big back then. And then there was oh Facebook. Gosh, MySpace, which was, like, yeah. <laughs> you're just <laughs> taking me Facebook, back. <laughs> Facebook was like in infancy. I think YouTube had just started. And yeah, so um, everyone was switching from AOL emails back then over to MSNs mm-hmm. or Hotmails or Gmail. So... Yep. So there was a lot of um, early technology, but 
it did feel like it was getting a hold of me. And he kept telling me I need to learn to use technology responsibly. And he helped me understand that everything we do in this life is either going to raise our love energy. He called it frequency because I understood frequency. So he said, everything we do is either going to raise our love frequency or lower our love frequency, including what we eat, what we drink, what we allow ourselves to watch. Because he said there's no difference between putting in the mouth and putting in the eyes. If we if we view something and, if, and it's garbage here, it's going to be garbage inside our temple. So it's very important that we are very selective at what we allow ourselves to watch when we're calling it entertainment or, or you know, dealing with stress, whatever we do to to entertain ourselves while we're dealing with stress, it's important that we're, we're choosing and utilizing positive energy. And so that's where YouTube is a big deal. We can go and find, you know, uplifting, inspirational, even church videos. There's just yeah. so much good content out there. But here's what's weird. For good content, you've really got to go find it. For, for the crap and the garbage content, it'll find you. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Almost every channel you look, it finds you. So, you know, reverse the 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 programming of letting your media come to you. Go seek out those good things. Just like the articles of faith, like we seek after the good things. That's a very important principle for us that we understand and have a responsible relationship with technology because technology can be truly God's best friend. Or yeah. Satan's best friend. And, and, and it's us who choose what we're allowing on here and, and in our minds and in our temple. So, so that's really important is, is uh, you know, using re- t- technology responsibly. And that's when I learned um, a little thing I call the hour of power, which is the 30 minutes when you wake up and the 30 minutes before you go to bed. That, that becomes essentially the framework of your day. That you're, you're essentially creating a frame around what your day is. And that's your hour of power, your 30 minutes before you go to bed and your first 30 minutes right when you wake up. And if you allow the world in there, in your hour of power, you're essentially allowing the world in your holy temple. Mm. So so be very, very aware of what you're allowing in your hour of power. And, and I think that's why it's a perfect thing to do when you wake up and before you go to bed to either have scripture study and prayer or at least have prayer and and a good amount of breath work and meditation where you can really connect to God and the spirit. And and this is an awesome opportunity for all of us just to be aware of that hour of power. And don't let the news in that. Don't let sports in that. Don't let NASDAQ in that. Don't let money and world in that temple space, because that's essentially the framework of your life. That's the, that's the entryway to your temple. So make sure you're putting good things in that space. But seeking out podcasts like Latter-day Lights or seeking out inspirational things would be perfect to put in your hour of power. Because if anything, they're going to keep you targeted and on task for the light, for the love, for the love energy that, that God gives to all of us. And, and so it's important for us to, to you know, use technology responsibly in the hour of power and all times, of course. But that led me to um, my sixth principle, which is release prejudice. Now, I was raised with two adopted Korean sisters, and I was raised in you know, a predominantly white community. 
And so they mm-hmm. did receive a lot of, you know, harassment and kind of boys singing stupid songs and, and things about being Asian or Oriental or Chinese and all these things. And I was, even though I was younger, I was two years younger, actually four years younger than, than my closest uh, Korean sister. Um, I, I was still bigger than they were almost my whole life. Uh, cause they're both so tiny and, and, and w- one of my sisters, she's a mayor and she's really, she's, she's the, the biggest little sister of the, that I could have ever had, you know, she's, she's my big sister, but she's real little, but I'll tell you, I, I always felt like some way that I was their protector and they for sure were my protector as well. They were. And, you know, in our growing up in a kind of a hard house to be growing up in, we were each other's support for each other. And. And so growing up, I felt I was the least prejudiced person. And Drake, he, he triggered me because he goes, well, if you're, so pr- if you're so free of prejudice, how do you feel about prejudiced people? And I'm like, oh, I hate prejudiced people. They're so closed-minded. They, they're, they're trying to choose labels to pick people out. And he's like, he's like uh, let me let you see who you are becoming right now. So he let my consciousness wow. come away and look at me. And I saw that I was prejudiced against prejudiced people. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I in turn had joined the prejudice category or the prejudice team by hating prejudiced people. So I had mm-hmm. to, I had to get over that. I had to understand. Drake helped me see that within every prejudiced person is a being and a loving divine masterwork of God. And that it's just because there was some type of victimhood there at one time that they react by choosing to be prejudiced in some way. Yep. And that beyond, beyond the victimness, there's that divine being of light inside of them. And that I needed to love through their bad actions and understand that it's not my job to label them or mislabel them. It's my job to love them no matter what they say or do. And, and it goes back to love everyone again, you know, back to principle three. So releasing prejudice, three and six, both extremely, extremely important for us. And then that brought me to seven, which is exercise the power of creation. And that one was really cool because I'm, I'm a Harry Potter fan. I am big time. <laughs> I love Harry Potter. I think most, most people do. A lot of people really love Harry say, Potter. Who right? doesn't? And, it's just so good. <laughs> you know, this all happened pre, you know, before Harry Potter was very big or anything. But since then, I've really embodied the idea of magic wands because um, I've learned that every day we all have magic wands and our magic wand, our elder wand that we can all be having is our thoughts that we literally create with our thoughts. So if we allow our, our thoughts to be negative, we will create negative. If we allow our thoughts to be positive, even when we're in a negative situation, we will eventually begin creating positive. It's a mm-hmm. fact. It's an absolute mm-hmm. fact. We create with our thoughts. So our thoughts are the power of creation. And that's, that's principle seven, that exercise the power of creation. So exercise positive thoughts to create. And, you know, what our, th- our thoughts become our actions. Our actions become our habits. Our habits become our character. And they, and they direct literally what we do with our life. Mm-hmm. And, and essentially, I was shown how important it is at the gateway of all that. It's our thoughts. So we do have magic. Every single one of us has a magic wand, and it's called our thoughts. And every single day, we get to use those thoughts for good or for bad. And, and if we put bad out there, we will get bad. 
If we put good out there, we'll eventually get good, even when there's bad going on around us. So use the power of creation wisely. And then uh, kind of to allow creation to work, we have to go to step seven or principle seven, which is avoid negative influences. And what are negative influences? Again, that's going to be anything that lowers the love frequency in you. That means there's, there's negative drinks, there's negative foods, there's negative songs, there's negative channels to be watching. So, you know, go through your life and give a thumbs up for stuff that raises your, your love frequency and a thumbs down for stuff that doesn't. So start shifting things in your life, things you put in your body, both food and chemical, but also energetic. Choose to put positive things in, you'll get positive things out. So avoid the negative influences. And then number nine, the ninth principle is understanding the purpose of evil. That yes, there is purpose to evil because in heaven, heaven is so full of love that uh, God's love is so strong for us. Anything God wants, we want instantly. We don't have separate intention or thought from God because we're at such a love frequency for each other. As such a synchronicity with each other. So we had to step away the same way that a child has to move away from home to learn to grow and to and make their own decisions. We had to do that. We had to step away from father. And not only that, we had to we had to go through a veil of forgetfulness. Because if we could even remember the love God has for us, we it would still influence our decisions. So for us to be able to make our own decisions, we have to forget how much God loves us. And we have to go down to earth school, which is a long distance from God, where if you're going to connect to God, you're going to connect within, not without. So, you know, you're going to connect to God better in the Holy of Holies here in this temple uh, before you'll ever connect to God outside of our, ourselves in any outside temple. Does that make sense? So it's important for us to understand that, that there is purpose to evil, that without a bad choice, um, we don't know that there's a good choice. So we, there has to be two choices for us to grow, to learn to make choices. And, and with the, the ability to make choices also comes the ability to do harm. But when you're living in a system so built out of love, no matter what harm happens in that system, as you get pulled out, the love washes that away. And I got to feel that instant love when I first crossed that I'm telling you, the worst harms that could happen to me were worth it a hundred times over for even a few seconds of this love. It is so strong and so cleansing that, that there is a purpose to evil, that even the evil that had happened to me, and I was a victim of that evil, that even there was purpose for that, and that I learned that purpose through my experience. I learned that purpose in the long run. And, and there, there had to be choices for me. I needed to be able to make choices. And if I can't make a choice, I can't grow. So think about that for a second. If you don't have a choice, you're not growing. So allow yourself a choice. Keep allowing yourself a choice because with the good choices, you're raising that love frequency. You're raising that love outcome. You're raising that love influence in your life. That brings me to the last principle that know that we are all one. We are all fingers on God's hand. Every single one of us are fingers on God's hand. But I'm going to go even a step further. All of creation are fingers on God's hand. That includes the animals. 
that includes the plants, that includes all creation, that we are all part of God, every single one of us, that we are all fingers on God's hand. So for this finger to hate or harm this finger, whether that be an animal or a human, that is to only to hurt or to harm God. Mm. So it's important for us to use honor, love, and respect in all that we do, especially with with mankind, but even especially with with animal kind too, because mm. they are they are pristine gifts of life as well, the same way that we are. We are all gifts of life in this in this world in Earth School, and that to truly know that we're all one is to know that you know if we get cut off, we got cut off by a, a, a spiritual being on a physical existence, mm-hmm. on a physical journey, and we ourselves are spiritual beings living in this physical vehicle. So it's not a big deal when somebody cuts you off or makes you late. I'm telling you, if you can live your life rolling with the speed bumps that happen in front of you with a smile on your face, you will profoundly change your outcome daily. And you'll actually see God showing up in your life on a regular basis every day because you're opening yourself up for that love. So now every time somebody does cut me off, because I live in Vegas and everybody drives crazy here, (laughs) um, you know. Somebody cuts mm. me off probably, I would say, at least five times a week, at least maybe yeah. five <laughs> times in a day here. Depends on how much driving I'm doing, right? And when it happens, I'll, I'll, it's not 100% of the time, but 90% of the time, I can, I can pull myself out and say, oh, look at me there. Look at that part of God there that just did that to myself. Isn't that funny? I love that I, love that I can recognize that I love that being in there, even though they're all rushing and they're they think, oh, my problem's this huge mountain of a problem. Mm. Me, where I am, I can see through all of that and see that I love the being that's inside of that person there. And I can recognize that there's a sliver of God in there the same way there's a sliver of God in me. Mm-hmm. The soul, the spirit is, is the divine masterwork that I'm going to love and care about no matter how people are acting or reacting. And that even goes to politics. So it doesn't matter whether it's a D or an R and an independent or libertarian. Like we need to love the beings, all of them, no matter what they're saying or doing, both good and bad. We've got to remove the hate that we feel for each other because to hate anyone else is to hate yourself. And that, that brings me to, to a really cool thing that Drake taught me. He taught me the principle of the pointed finger. That if I point my energy of negative towards anyone else, I'm putting the same amount of blame up to God. So you see my thumb pointing Mm -hmm. up to God, my finger pointing to that person, but then turn that hand over and I've got three fingers pointed back at myself. So that means anything negative I put on anyone else, I will be putting back on myself three times stronger. And I'm also blaming God at the same time. But here's, here's what's really beautiful. That principle of the pointed finger goes two ways. If I'm missing something and I need love in my life, if I will go and and share love through compliment, through service, through helping, I share love to that being. I share it to God the same. So when you're in the service of your fellow being, you're in the service of God. I'm also serving myself three times stronger. So when I'm, I'm helping and caretaking for others, I'm helping and caretaking for me. 
So when I'm missing something in my life, if I can figure out what I'm missing and I go give that to anyone else in the world, I will literally gain three times stronger what I felt I was missing. And that is a fact. You can try it. It works 100% of the time. If you really, really open yourself up for God, you will see it 100% of the time. That that you are missing, go give it to someone. And you will receive what you were missing three times stronger. I d- now, now, I never said go to TikTok. I never said go find your <laughs> solutions on, on YouTube or TikTok or, right. or Instagram. Heaven forbid, no solutions on Instagram. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the solutions exist by going out and giving what you're missing to others. And the solution shows up for you big time. So that was, that oh, was wow. my experience. I ended up touching down in heaven. I got to see heaven. I got to see what they call the university, which is a place of learning in heaven. And, and at this point comes the hardest part of my experience because I'm just, I'm basking in this light and this glory. And just to describe just the grass, I weep. I really do weep. And it's, this is not some type of thing. This is just to actually understand the grass there. You will weep because the grass loves you so much. It's an extension of who God is. You feel it. You feel God's presence in the grass and the water and the trees and the flowers. You feel this just this all-loving presence coming at you from all different directions in a loving way, not in an obtrusive way, but a lifting up and a supporting way. And that there was actual light coming from within all things there. So, you know, on earth, we have a sun, and the sun is outside of us, and it's shining light down on us. Well, there, the, the place of heaven itself is like a sun. The light is actually coming from within all things. So the flowers actually have light coming from within them. The trees have light emitted out of them, coming from them. The grass glows. It shines. And that's why there's so many colors there that we, there's not even a chance of getting close here. They have millions of colors there that we will never get here. Not until this earth becomes perfected like heaven and, and starts uh, emitting and being source light instead of reflective light. Because there, everything is source light. Because everything there is source, is God, the creator, the source of the universe. And so as I'm experiencing all this, I'm just beyond words. And Drake is just, he's loving my excitement. I'm just like a total kid in a candy store. I just, I'm like, oh, trees, oh, grass, little flowers, water. <laughs> and I was just, I was trying to take it all in. And at the same time, I was, I'm nosy. So I'm trying to figure out what they're doing in the university. So I'm, I'm allowing like a part of my perception to be kind of hovering over the university and figuring out what's going on there. All this is going on when I feel Drake put his hand on my shoulder and he, and he gets real serious, and he goes, Vinny, now this is going to hurt, but I promise you it's going to be worth it. And he gives me this hug. And there, we are physical there, but we're, we're also we're at such a high vibrational love. Everything is that when you hug there, you can actually come together and become one. So when, you, when we hug here, we're copying real hugs there. The real hugs are there. When we come, bring our two bodies together and we like, you know, hug, that we're, we're kind of trying to copy that. And, and 
he actually came together with me and we became one energy. And when we did, like I felt my brightness and I could feel his brightness because everything is energy level there. It went to four times greater than what it ever could have been by ourselves. So that, that was another principle I learned there that when you come together in God, in God's energy, in God's love, you become four times stronger than you ever could have been on alone. So even though we were just two beings, we became the, the vast force of four beings when we came together in God's love. And as I was just glorying in this, I, I, you know, I was beyond tears because it was just, it was a, a more beautiful experience than, than can even be described by human words. By our words cannot describe even at close what that is like. And as that's happening, I start hearing my brother give my body a blessing. Now, meanwhile, I've been brain dead for three days. And that day, so the third day of being brain dead, they gave my dad and my brother all these pamphlets for somebody who's a vegetable and, and somebody who's, who needs what they call palliative care or hospice mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. They gave my brother these pamphlets. And until then, he didn't know how serious this was. And so he, he went calling to God. And he, he laid his hands on me in a priesthood blessing. And this is my third blessing, by the way, because I got a blessing each night. This was my third night in the hospital. And he blessed me that I would be made whole. And I was actually okay until he allowed his love for me to get involved. And I didn't know my, my brother loved me. Not like that. I knew I loved him. I knew he loved me, but, but, but I thought that we loved each other distantly because we were always in such competition with each other our whole lives. And then, then, you know, here comes the, the, the guy who's normally the target of my joke or whatever I'm throwing. And he, and he pleads to God, please don't take my brother. And then he has the audacity to say, I bless you to be made whole and to come back. And then became the hardest thing I ever did. And that was to stop fighting. I was fighting. I didn't want to go back. I wanted to just stay there. And once you get there, you understand there's a, we have to have the veil. Otherwise, we'd all just kill ourselves. We have to have the veil. Because it's so awesome there. We want to go back. I didn't want to leave. So I, I, allowed, I allowed myself to be taken back. But my agency was fully removed from me. I, I started to resist it, but I realized that I needed to I needed to honor my brother's love and I needed to honor that priesthood that was was bringing me back. And and I did come back. To me to me it felt like he said amen to the prayer. And it felt like I woke up right then. But the real world of it was he gave me the blessing at 9:30 at night. And then I woke up at 1:11 in the morning.
Wow. So it was, and that was the hardest part. That was the hardest part was coming back. Yeah, I was, I was really suicidal for, for a week. Um, I kept hearing Drake though. So I, I could hear Drake now and I still talk to him on a regular basis every day. Um, I speak to spirit. Um, I, they're, they're my guides. They help me through all this. And, and it's just that I have this perception that, that got opened up from my experience that goes a little bit further than what most of us get. But all of us have that same ability or perception to turn on and get stronger. Um, it's just, hap- you know, happened that I had my experience to turn it on really strong. And, uh, you know, all this happened. And I, I did have a neurologist tell me, he said, Vinny, be very careful about what you allow your imagination to make up. Because he says you were brain dead for three days. So during that three days, your imagination is going to make up things that, that happened in there. And so at first, there was a part of me that believed that I was delusional. I really did. I also thought mm-hmm. that I might be schizophrenic because I could, I could see and talk to Drake still. And, and mm-hmm. so I, I went that route. I actually went that route of, of going through the, the clinical route to get prescribed something to prevent me from feeling crazy because I did feel crazy. And um, I had a whole experience with a good member of the church who was my doctor. And um, I had an experience where a certain truth got brought out to him. And as he was writing out a prescription to me, he, he heard that truth. And he, he took those prescriptions and ripped them up and said, nope. He later called me. He had to go calm down for a little bit, but later he called me. And he explained that whatever whatever happened to me had to be real because the, the truths that I'd shared with him were not something that anyone in his entire life, other than one lady, his grandmother, had known about. Only she, of all the people in his life, knew about this, this thing that had happened to him as, as a young boy. And, and the fact that I was able to help him remember it because he had blocked it out, he'd completely forgotten that it happened, for me to bring that back up for him, it it shifted his his thinking and he explained he said my medical practice my license all the 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 schooling that i went through has not taught me for your situation he says i know about if you see spirits and you hear voices i know what to do i know what prescriptions to give you but when those voices are speaking the actual truth provable truth then he says that's different that's a perception, not a delusion. And so he helped me through that. I still had this little nagging voice inside me that said, you're probably just crazy. You need to just go go check yourself into a hospital or something. And, you know, seven months later, you know, I, I had met just right after my experience, I had met the angel of my life, which is my wife, Andrea. And, and really, she's the reason I exist here on Earth, because I know for a fact I would have become an underwater welder. Or I would have been a crab fisherman, <laughs> or I would have, I would have joined the, the Navy SEALs or something where I could go and defend freedom and die quickly, something like that, um, or, or something. I, I knew I was going to go that path until I met her, and once I met her, I actually felt that she had a sliver of heaven. I really did. I could feel the light of God coming from her. She had such a light in her, and still does to this day. And children flock to her everywhere we go. Just children flock to her. And that's what it is. She, she just has that light. And, you know, she, she helped keep me around for a few months. And, you know, I, I 
I woke up on January 21st uh, from my coma. And on July 4th, that same year, I ended up in this little town in Wyoming. And Andrea, who was my fiance at the time, she, she made me go to this, this little high school play on, on the whole history of Wyoming and the history of this little town in Wyoming called Afton in the Star Valley area. And this little town of Afton had like its first mayor come from there and its first state president came from there. The first bishops were there. So um, it was really cool to see all this history of the church and history of the state kind of combined in this this little Star Valley, Wyoming, Afton High School presentation. But wouldn't you know it, I'm sitting there reaching over and grabbing something out of a bag. And Andrea, I had already described Drake so well to her. She really felt like she knew in her mind's eye what Drake looked like because I just, I'd been going off, you know, after an experience like that, you just you want to tell it to anybody who'll listen in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I told her so much. She felt she knew what he looked like. And I'm sitting there reaching over into a bag to get a drink or something. And she goes, that's your guide. I swear that's your guide. And I'm like this. I'm like, that's not my. And as I got up to look, I saw the picture. It was Drake. There was no question it was Drake. It was Drake, my guide. Here in, in a brown and white photo from, from the 1800s in Wyoming. And it was Drake. But what was weird is it said his name was Charles. And I'm like, that's not right. That's Drake. That's not Charles. That's Drake. <laughs> and, and she's like, well, I don't know about that. But it, it looks just like the guy you've been describing to me now for seven months or six months. And, and I recognized the last name. It said Kazare. And I knew my grandmother was a Kazare before she got married. So we, we, we quickly got in the car. I couldn't even stay for the rest of the presentation. We went and got in the car. We drove straight to my grandmother's house. I was like pounded on the door. Thank goodness the door's open. I go right in. I go, Grandma, Grandma, Grandma. Can you tell me anything about this guy named Charles Kazare? And she goes, she goes, oh, you mean great grandpa Drake? He's famous. What? <laughs> and I come to find out his middle name was Drake. And his whole family knew him as Drake. And only wow. in, when he was like mayor or governor or whatever in Wyoming, they called him by his first name, Charles. And officially with the church and stuff, all of his stuff was Charles is there. So it was really wow. neat to see that here is this guy who had an amazing life himself. And, and he was a real guy, somebody that was my ancestor that I'd never seen his photo before ever. I'd never, you know, I'd never known to even look for this guy. And I mean, you're, I was 25 years old. I don't sit there and do ancestry when you're 25. <laughs> I mean, right. You have a hard time being around yeah. your ancestry, let alone <laughs> go speak them out, right? And I'll tell you, it was a really beautiful experience for me because I got to now see a, a physical confirmation that my brain couldn't have made that up. It couldn't have. It couldn't have grabbed out of the ethers. A, a, the actual image and physical, even the, and so here's another really cool part is I asked my grandmother, I was like, what, what was he famous for? And she said, well, he actually was famous for like, his eyes felt like they could, they could give you a hug, just his eyes. And that's kind of the way I described him to Andrea, my mm-hmm. one, my fiance at the time. And so it was really neat to, to have all of that. And um, that would, to me was the miracle of all this is that through all of this, 
God left this breadcrumb seven months later after coming back that it was worth it. It was worth going through that really hard seven months to get there to know that this experience was a real experience. And from that time forward, I felt comfortable sharing it with people as long as I was feeling prompted to share it with people. So for 20 years, you know, almost 20 full years, I've been sharing it with people verbally, uh, doing firesides, doing um, all sorts of stuff with with um, our church and other churches. I've I've uh, actually presented at, at a Christian fellowship quite a few times and, and also um, different spiritual communities. They just, you know, it helps people in some ways that, and, and what I do is I share it for what it is. It's my experience. It happened to me, and I don't, I don't profess for it to be anyone else's experience. It was what I was supposed to hear, have, and hold from my experience. Mm-hmm. And if there's any way that it can help you connect better to God, then awesome. Uh, or if it helps you connect better with your own ancestry, then awesome. If it helps you understand why we're here and what we're learning about and and how earth is a, a classroom, not a courtroom. Awesome. I don't, I don't share it to try to say the, that, that my experience is everyone's experience at all. I, that's the beauty about God is God is going to cater the exact experience you need for your transition. But the beautiful thresholds that, of, of energy and love that I experienced there are for all of us. That is for all of us. Do we all need the 10 principles? No, I would. I was probably riding the short bus to heaven, so I needed the extra principles on the way there. But I'll, I'll tell you, the beautiful thing is that God's going to get us what we need to get us in the right places for what we want. And it's all about um, God helping us get what we would like to do with our lives. And, and that's really what I share the experience for, is to help people realize that life's much bigger than what we're focusing on. And that if you, you learn to, to deal a little bit better with with the different things going on around you and, and make sure you're only putting clean things in your holy of holies, in your temple, you can, you can profoundly and fundamentally change your life. Wow. That. You know, Vinny, it's what an inspiring story. <laughs> yeah. We, we had um, a couple guests. We had um, Bridget Cook Birch, and then we also had Jerry Paskett on, and they both had, um, their own kind of version of like a near death experience or something like that. And both of them said some very similar things to what you're saying, where they just felt this immense amount of love you know, that they have just been able, Mm -hmm. like since their experiences, they've come back and they, you, I mean, you can hear it when they talk too, just like, just like you were sharing, you can feel how true that is for them, you know, that they know that there is a love beyond measure that exists from our heavenly father and that it's for each of us. And that it's, it's, um, something that needs to also come from each of us to everyone else. Right. And so I yeah. just, I love that. It's just like one, one, one of, one of those affirmations, you know, and there were so many yeah. things, so many things that you have shared today that have just affirmed my own testimony. Um, and and have really just kind of given me a sense of like clicking some puzzle pieces together with things that I was kind of wondering on and and whatever else. And so I I just I really appreciate you taking the time and and sharing your story with us today and and putting it in book form. Um, I like I couldn't stop. I think I read your book in 
like a half of a day. It was so, I was just, I couldn't stop. And so, <laughs> but I feel like it's, it's got so many beautiful principles and so much truth and so many, um, things. It has a, it does have a lot by. of good, a lot of good nuggets in there. And, and, and what I really love about my experience is God wants us in heaven back home where we came from. And he built a ladder named Jesus. And that ladder we can climb, or we want, we can call it Jacob's ladder, but it is Jesus. That's how we're able to get back there and, and function and be and have. But the one thing, the one part we get wrong a little bit, at least from my perspective, is God's not throwing anybody away. He's not yeah. throwing Islam away. He's not throwing Buddhists away. God loves every single one of us so much that there will be a path, there will be a possibility for everyone to climb that ladder of Jesus into heaven, every single one of us, even if they don't need to call it Jesus, but they're going to connect to the, to what Jesus is and, and uh, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed that's, they will connect to that to get there. Cause that's how we get to heaven. And I'll, um, but I'll tell you, like, God's not throwing anybody away. Not a single being, not any of us, I love that. not any of us that are here anyway. It does. It's not throwing any of us away. So Vinny, on, on that on that topic, what would what do you say to people who have like hate towards somebody that's really hurt them? Like to like do you have any advice there? So I can give advice that I personally went through. So my my predator in my life was my dad. He was mm-hmm. the one that that victimized me, physically abusing me uh, quite a few times throughout my life. Um, and, and I had a lot of animosity towards him before my experience. Now, right after my experience happened, that animosity was completely washed away. And it was, it actually took time for the animosity to start showing back up again, because I still had the memories and the memories are what started the animosity showing back up. But here's, what's really neat. I was in a deep prayer, deep prayer one day. And I I do long prayers to me. Prayer is conversation with God. Not the formal, um, our kind, dear Heavenly Father. I actually will sit there and say, God, I need to talk today. I really need to talk today. And we'll start talking. And and I was in one of those deep sessions where I was just really diving deep into some things. And I was I was asking for a way to forgive my dad. Because I don't want to, to tell my daughter to go hug her, her grandfather without me actually loving him. I want to love him and tell her to go hug her grandfather. And so as I was in the process of doing, this was back in like 2009, 2010, um, I was allowed to see my contract with my dad. So this is is going to probably trigger a lot of people, but but it it is what it is. (laughs) I had a contract with my dad for him to lovingly be a jerk to me to help make me who I was. Cause here's what happened. If I would have gone through my near death experience without receiving abuse first, I wouldn't have had this hyper awareness that I had to have for survival because of my dad. I had to have this hyper awareness that before my dad walked through our front door, I needed to know if he was happy, sad, tired, hungry, out of energy, fatigued, whatever. I had to know all of that. And, and, I, ha- and I, I just learned to, 
to have this hyper-awareness that the way he would open a door or the way he would smile or not smile or, or put something down on the table, I, every single thing he did delivered a communication to me so I could know how his day was going without him saying a word. So this hyper-awareness is what I had to have for survival because if I didn't pay attention, I received abuse. Mm-hmm. So here's the here's the blessing to all this. Because I did have that hyper awareness when I had my my experience of actually dying, I was very much aware of everything going on around me. Everything. Even the mm-hmm. thoughts and feelings of everybody in the restaurant uh, below right. me. I was perceiving far more than what most people would probably perceive because they were never forced to. So here was the beauty of it is here I was, a sword in God's hands. And I did. I cursed my blacksmith while I was being made because my dad was the anvil and my dad was the hammer. And God was shaping me using the anvil and the hammer. But lovingly so, on the back end, there, God was giving me way more love that, that more than could have washed away all that harm my dad ever did. And that's where I saw my contract where I was existing with God before I came to my life on earth. I was existing well within that love. And when you're inside that love, nothing can get you. Nothing can get you. And so, yeah, I checked the box, abusive dad. And then I checked the box, um, dad that hates you. Dad that even looking at you makes makes him feel nauseated. That's, that's who I had for a dad for a while. Now, I love my father. And I love the fact that he's a grandfather for my daughter and for my son. Mm. And he loves them. But here's the thing. If I couldn't forgive my dad, I wouldn't have been able to forgive me. Not God. I wouldn't have been able to forgive me. So I had to really dive in and, and in prayer, find out what my contract was with my dad. So I could forgive him and thus forgive myself. Because remember the principle of the pointed finger. Yeah. If I mm-hmm. point blame at dad, I'm pointing blame at me. If I if I own, I own the solutions and I and I find a solution, I create three times more solutions for me. So that's what I use is I use what I learned from my experience to do what I call shadow work. I dove into where my shadows were, why I hated my dad, why I had that animosity there. And figure that out and talk it out with God and help God take it and stop feeling like I need to carry the world. I'm not Atlas. I don't need to hold the world. God will hold it for me. But I've got to turn it over to God. So I had to I had to get out of it and say, okay, God, you know what you're doing. Please, Heavenly Father, help me see where I I was supposed to have these things happen. And he showed instantly, he showed me. He showed me what happened to my dad to make him the way he was and why he felt he, what he did for me. And now I understood mm-hmm. why. And it actually made sense. And I, I probably would have been like him if I had raised, if I was raised exactly how he was. So yeah. I, I had to understand the full scope of the light, but until I could take my victim card and rip it up and then put it back together, spelling victory instead of victim. Mm-hmm. then I could start changing my life and changing my world. But it was my experience that taught me that. I knew I wanted to use the principle of the pointed finger, 
I needed to find something good to, to point out with my dad. I had to. And, and, and I found it. I love my dad so much. Wow. Yeah. My kids do yeah. too. My kids love my dad too. <laughs> That's amazing. Such, oh, there's like so much. I feel like we need a whole series. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we we just seen like a whole like you know season of all things Vinny, <laughs> and I just oh welcome my gosh, to my crazy world. <laughs> I can no, see why I, you wanted to I be a coach it. for sure. I mean, yeah. you have so oh. many valuable things to share with people through because yeah. of this experience. And I think the biggest thing too is I know suicide. I I I really know that, mm-hmm. and I know what that is for people to think that there's some type of solution there, and there's not. That's not a real solution yeah that's just it's just a cry for help and 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 really that's what it was i i was crying for help because i i had had such love poured upon me and then i was just dumped back into the cold world of you know if there was any type of hell that i experienced it was only here that's the only hell that i experienced so you know i'll i'll tell you the the hells we experience are just the ones that we create inside our temple so we got to Make sure we don't create any hells. Yeah. Wow. But it's so beautiful it's all this... knowing. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say. It's beautiful knowing though that there's something at the end, right? Like that yeah. there's something that's going to be just so strong and so powerful. Yep. And, and there's purpose and, behind problems. Yeah. Purpose behind and, problems. And that yep. all along the way, we get to get little glimmers of that beauty and and of that perfect love when we give it to others. <laughs> Right. Like that yep. is the way that we get to feel connected to our home and to our heavenly father and to our ancestors and, yep. you know, and, and even a posterity that have yet to be born. Right. Yep. That's how we're going to feel that little piece of heaven is by giving, giving, giving the kind of love that you were able to experience with. And it's funny, with your thing. you know, if you dive into TikTok, you dive into Instagram, you dive into YouTube. You can really feel empty and hollow and sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you take some of that energy, just half of it, and dive into caring for someone else, um, you know, a, a simple little practice I love to do is in the morning when I wake up, I ask my guides, I ask God, I ask my Heavenly Father, who needs me today? Who needs me today? And you'd be surprised. I'd say at least eight times out of 10. A name or a face drops instantly into my mind. Instantly. And I've seen countless miracles by by sending a phone call or text message or or just showing up to take to to show up in their life for them. And how they, they go, Wow, this is a miracle. I was just praying and 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 it gets to a point where you're used to hearing that because you're doing what God wants you to do. And you're opening your life up for God and God shows up. Too many times we we pull up to the Wendy's drive-through of God, and we say, "Heavenly Father, I would please like this, this, and this," and then we just drive straight home. Right. We don't even <laughs> wait for two seconds to receive the answers, to receive the gift, the food that that God wants to give us. Right. So it's important for us to make space, make time for for our Heavenly Father to show up, and He shows up. He shows up, and 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 glorious form he shows up yeah but i think within the church we have that happen a lot when we're in some type of role of stewardship when we're given a calling where we have a stewardship or a ministry over a certain group of people 
And with that ministry comes the inspiration to know who needs us. Uh, but we can all have that without a calling. We can just say, Heavenly Father, who needs me today? And then yeah. act on it. Every time we act on that first first intuition, that first one that comes to us, act on it, and it will get stronger and stronger and stronger to a point where you know who he's that God's who's gonna go. You you know the name that God's gonna drop in there before he drops it in there. When he drops, you're like, okay, I know you're already <laughs> saying this. You know, it's really cool though. It's awesome. It's really awesome. And and what a way to live. What a higher way of being. And to not be worried about who's on this vacation on Facebook or whose Instagram photos look better than this and that. I mean, that is such a shallow existence. And yet so much of the world is poured every day, every moment into that crap. That's not happiness at all in yeah. any way. Yeah. yeah. Vinny, I really appreciate what you just, what you just said, because I was recently made the ward mission leader in my ward, and I've really been struggling with it because I don't want, I want to do it right, but mm-hmm. I don't, I, and I, I don't want to be disingenuous. I don't want, I don't want people to look at me as I'm the ward mission leader. And so I have this agenda so I really love what you just said, right? <laughs> so what's who really cool me? is like who needs it's me? kind of like so I the word missionary is kind of like being the word plumber, right? Like but <laughs> being being the word plumber, you're gonna carry the, the plumbing tools wherever you go. So what you do is if you're called as word mission leader, I really believe this. Like go take a few Book of Mormons and and sign your testimony in them and carry them with you everywhere you go. And and it will get to a point where someone will walk up to you and say, do you have a book for me? Like, I have this weird feeling you have a book for me. It's where God puts it all in their, in their camp where they're coming uh-huh. to you and asking for this. So you just do the preparation and God does the rest. And that, and that works for everything, not just that calling, but with all the calling. Like, do your preparation, do your work, and, and then just say, okay, Heavenly Father, let me know when I'm supposed to give this to somebody or let them know. When I have this, and tell them to come ask for it, and that people will literally do it. They'll come and say, "Do you have something for I me? I think that. you have something for me." And I, it's, it's, <laughs> I've watched that. I've watched that exact thing happen. I'll give you a perfect example. One time, I was I was at uh, the sandwich place, and I ordered a sandwich, and they handed me two. And there, I was like, "I only ordered one sandwich." They're like, "No, sir. Look at your receipt. You ordered two. I looked at my receipt, and I did. I ordered two. I didn't remember ordering two. Mm-hmm. But I just trusted it. And and the Spirit said, just trust it. So I, I went about my day. And, and again, Spirit's like, hey, park over here and eat your lunch. I'm like, okay. Parked over here. And then Spirit says, hey, take that extra sandwich. We're going to show you where to bring it. And just so happened in my work truck back then, we had hats and gloves for homeless people. Well, I had the last warm hat and the last pair of gloves in that truck sitting right there with the sandwich. I go walking down this street and Spirit literally says turn left around that blind corner and right as i turn left around this blind corner there's a homeless person looking up at the sky saying god you mother effer how you not care about me <laughs> he literally was yelling it up at god and, oh my god and and i walked up to him and i go i go sir i know god loves you because he brought you a warm a meal a warm pair of gloves and a warm hat and i hand it to him I walked away. It was so wow. awesome. It was so freaking awesome to be a part of that. Because wow. the, the way that God had me walk, 
I, I pretty much disappeared. Like I went around the corner and then I was gone because I was parked right <laughs> over by there. So the, uh-huh. the way that God had me even walking and coming into that trajectory. So that's what I'm saying. You know, I started uh-huh. carrying those gloves and hats in the car for a reason. And then the sandwich thing happened and it all lined up perfect. So start carrying your work with you ready for it. And God will find the right people. It will happen so quick. And I'm telling you, I'm it works, so doing works this. with everything. Scott, you yeah. should do it with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know what? I, I and, love that. And I, never, I don't take any credit for it. It's 100% um, our Heavenly Father who, who creates all these beautiful, amazing situations. Yeah. But I'm telling you, to be, it's true. Be, yeah. to be a cog on that wheel that day, I was on fire for like so six fun. months. <laughs> I was so on fire. I loved, I was passionate about waking up. I was just yeah. so excited about to see what was next. I love that kind of stuff. And, and it really, really had a good impact on me. So, you know, um, just really put your, your heart, your own personal heart and belief in, in, in your book, you know, in, the, in your Book of Mormons and, and carry them around with you. God will find the exact person that that is meant for. The person awesome. who needs it the most. And he'll choose way better than we can choose. Way better. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing, Vinny. I mean, yeah. I you've inspired me so many ways I can't even count. Did you have any last words of advice? Yes. I would say I would say the last <laughs> and yeah, the biggest takeaway that I got from my experience is number one, like we said in the beginning, um, life is a classroom, not a courtroom. And that every single one of you is extremely valuable to God. Mm-hmm. Your Heavenly Father cares so much and so meticulously for you that you you really have to understand that God knows every cell of your physical body. But bigger than that, God knows every cell of your energetic body, who you really are, your soul inside. And, and stop figure, stop feeling like you have to carry the world. Give it to God and have some faith and, and say, Say to, to Heavenly Father, say, hey, let me know when I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. Let me know when I'm supposed to carry things. But for now, I'm going to give you my world. Mm-hmm. And, and it is so empowering to not feel like you have to control everything and, and to trust that even, even our speed bumps in life are to keep us on the right path. And, and it, I'm not a sadistic person, but when I have a, an obstacle or a trial come in front of me, sometimes I smile. Because I'm excited. I'm like, wow, I'm supposed to learn something from this. I hope I learn from this. I hope I learn whatever I'm supposed to learn from this. And I, I, yeah. I enjoy even the hurdles that I have in life because um, all of it leads to growth. All of it. All of it. And when life's a little too easy, sometimes you're not growing. So, so I know when it's a little easy, I'm like, oh, I got to challenge myself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Well, wow. I, don't want it, I don't want anyone else to hire you as a coach, but I'm going to be nice and I'm going to let you... Let us know if someone does want to get a hold of you. So if they Whether, do, I do. Yeah. I have my own website. It's uh, called Living God's Light. It's actually a nonprofit. So so the actual coaching of the business goes to the nonprofit. And then from that, I'm like a contractor for the nonprofit. But but uh, it, what it does is it allows me to facilitate the nonprofit itself, um, mm-hmm. helping people live in God's light helping them uh, find light and bring light to their life. And, and, and essentially I use light and love interchangeably because to me it, it actually was tangible and it showed up that the, the actual love I was feeling was and is light. So livinggodslight.com is my website. 
Um, and then that book that, uh, that essentially discusses and explains my whole experience is called The Light After Death, which you can get it there. You can also get on Amazon, Kindle, Audible, all of that. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. That's really cool. Well, dang, this has just been phenomenal. <sighs> Best body bag story I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> one of my oh. one of my good friends, Alan, my brother from another mother, he's always like, you should start off with saying, do you know what the inside of a body bag smells like? Oh, I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, actually, my body knows what it smells like, but I, I have a memory of it, but not, not, not very tangible. <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah. it's been really my pleasure to, to speak with you both today. I, I really love what both you, Alicia and Scott, are doing here because to have something positive there's so many negatives out there. To have the positive content out there is, is priceless. It really is. And even if you don't have necessarily the audience you want now, you will have the audience. Or if you have the audience, your audience is just going to continue to expand because people really are going to be seeking out the light. We're going to yeah. see we're, we're, we're having a mass awakening. And I don't mean woke. I mean awakening where people are waking up and, and realizing that they are the masters of their own domain. They are the creators of their own world, and they get to create every day with their thoughts and with their actions, and that the, the more we control our thoughts and our actions, the more we control our environment. Mm -hmm. Even when we feel maybe our environment's out of control, we can get it. We can control it. So um, I love what you guys uh, represent and the work that you're doing. So thank you for being uh, an option and a channel for for. Uh, positive content for everyone. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So, and thanks, that's a great thanks. segue to all of our guests too, guys. Uh, Scott and I, we just, um, Scott looked over some analytics recently and, and found out that so far since we launched the show, um, we have been able to fill the conference center two and a half times with the amount of people that have, have tuned in and listened to an episode. And so it's super exciting for us to know. That's that awesome. Your stories, Vinny, like you and, and other guests who've been on the show and those who maybe are thinking, I have a story that I could share. You guys, uh, your story isn't just shared once on a Sunday. You know, it's it's something that can be sought after and, and found months after you've been a guest on the show. And so if you guys um, are, if our listeners, if you guys have a story that you'd like to share, one that can instill faith, invite growth and inspire others, um, please, please, please be sure to reach out to us. You can head over to our website. It's latterdaylights.com. And there is a form at the very bottom of the homepage there that you guys can fill out and we'll be able to email you back and um, set up a phone call and be able to kind of talk to you about what your story is, what your testimony takeaway is. And and really, you just um, you don't know the impact that sharing your story can have on others. And so I yeah. really want to highly encourage you guys just to be brave and take that step and, and make sure you reach out to us if, if you'd like to share your story. Yeah. And I would also encourage you to leave some comments um, underneath for sure. this video. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of comments for, for this particular episode. <laughs> <laughs> so. who, who the heck is this crazy guy, Vinny? <laughs> But yeah, we'd love we'd love you to leave your comments, um, and I'm sure Vinny's happy to respond to those. And then, um, you know, like we say, do your five second missionary work. The easiest way yep. to share this is just hit that share button and yep. get that out there to all your friends and family and the people that you love the most. I mean, all the stuff that Vinny shared with us is priceless. 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure my whole family watches this episode, Vinny, just so you know. <laughs> I know. Like, With a notebook <laughs> and a pen. I'm getting this so we out can take there. Down yeah. All, all of them. <laughs> family sure. meeting. Come on, guys. <laughs> I know. Yep. I'm sure someone, some of our listeners out there, they're gonna be like going on their crickets and making all these bumper stickers and stuff with all the things that you've said and it see there you guys go. Yeah. There you go. Profitable. profitable yeah, the, the finger pointing <laughs> thing, that's that's gonna become part I of our that. family. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's that's amazing. Our traditions. I'm going to use that yep. from now on. So I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. Well, really, thanks. truly, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Vinny, thank you. Thank you both for all that you're doing. It's been it's been awesome talking to you. Awesome. Well, we all might right, have to well. have you on the show again in the future. Oh, I think that, that sounds good to me. Idea. Sounds good. I love that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, to everyone out there listening, we really appreciate you guys once again. Hope you have a beautiful week and we will talk to you next Sunday. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.